Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you, uh, Pastor David Miles, for coming in. Had a great uh, conversation with him on love. I think we're going to keep that going. That's a great topic. Um, and also, uh, Patrick Albany is my friend who joins me on Mondays. So that was a fun first hour. If you missed any of it, you know where to go, myfaithradio.com. And while you're there, you should sign up for the uh, Tony Evans Study Bible. If you have not put your name in the drawing for that, you should, because it's a gorgeous Bible. I'm looking at it right now. And I would uh, I would advise you getting in that drawing. All right, Mark Senius, who is the chair of the Department of Communications here at the University of Northwestern, recently took a trip to Kenya, and I got to hear about it. And then uh, Bill Butters, a former professional hockey player, has got an amazing testimony. That's called all coming up in this hour. Let me take sixty seconds and bring on Mark. It's a new year and a new decade. Perhaps you're a relatively new listener to Faith Radio. If so, welcome. We'd like to send you a free welcome packet. Just go to MyFaithRadio.com and click on the link that says Get Your Welcome Packet. Submit your contact information and we'll send you some materials about our mission and ministry. You can also encourage a friend to request a welcome packet too. Thanks for listening and blessings to you throughout this new year and beyond. What is beautiful about the Lord God is the gracious way he will deal with you. Rather than shaming you with hands on hips, you will see the arms of the Father wide open waiting for his son to come over the horizon. It's a place in your radio dial for hope. Faith Radio. Well, here we are, and we are with the chair of the Department of Communications, Mark Senius. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Really glad to be here. Uh, when you say chair, that that's just like so, really wacky. So authentic. Yes. Uh, credibility. That. Yeah. I love the credibility. <laughs> so, Mark, uh, tell me about yourself. Tell me about myself? <laughs> what, am I in a dating game? No, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm cone. joking. Come on. Cut me some slack. <laughs> I know who you are. Oh, and I know oh, who you would you like were. me to tell people who might be tuning in at this particular. Yeah, I mean, no, you're a big deal. All right, so uh, Mark Senius and I'm the chair of the communication department. Didn't your opening thing? I can't pretty... believe I got you to say that. Thank you for coming in. I really want to talk about your trip to was it Korea, Kenya, Kenya. Same thing. Yeah, they both end in A and start in K with a K. So I was close like, enough. So yeah, you were yeah. So yeah, went to Kenya and uh, it was part of Northwestern Media. So it was a uh, uh, a joint venture between the University of Northwestern St. Paul, which is where I am employed as the uh, Associate Professor of Communication Media Production. So I teach people how to do radio and how to do production, that kind of stuff. So yeah, telling you about myself. Just It'd be helpful these. if you would teach me how to do radio. <laughs> Just a blind squirrel trying to find a nut pal. Yeah, I, uh, I understand. Anyway, so anyway, it's so a joint venture with Northwestern Media and University of Northwestern St. Paul. And we went to Kenya to uh, go to Daystar University, which is a uh, 
uh, college there in Nairobi, and 5,000 students attend wow. a couple of different campuses and some, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty big school of which there's around five, 600 people that just are in the communication department. And so uh, a colleague and I went along with the uh, the. Uh, Vice President of Media here at Northwestern, Jason Sharp. We all three of us went over there uh, for a week and looked at their curriculum and did some review. And then we are also looking at um, putting together new studios for them. So part of a tithe that Northwestern does each and every year when we do our different share events is we look for different ministries that we can tithe to. And so this year, it's been determined that we're going to go do Daystar. And so we're going to donate uh, some money to them and uh, help build up their equipment. It hasn't been, you know, some of their mm-hmm. stuff has not been, you know, fixed in, you know, 25 years, something like that. And so it's just a way to kind of upgrade and so that they can continue to do the, the good work that they do. It's yeah. a Christian <clears throat> university, wow. you know, like-minded all the way through, um, just about pursuing Christ and pursuing the craft of of media. So uh, Daystar in Kenya, mm-hmm. tell me what they're doing well and tell me what they need to work on. Well, what they're doing really well is just providing opportunity for people to, to you know, communicate and tell stories very well. And they're getting people working at various organizations within Nairobi and parts of Africa and and then even up into Europe. Uh, Many of their students are working at the, pretty much every student in Nairobi uh, has gone on to work for an organization in in Nairobi. And um, so it's like if you go to the TV2 and TV4 and all the different media outlets, it's, there are, you know, about... 50% 50% of the people that are working there are going to be Daystar University wow. graduates. And the BBC just opened up one of their uh, outlets. I think it's one of the first outlets outside of London where they have a, you know, a an office and so there are several people that work for uh, the BBC that are graduates of Daystar University, so they're mm-hmm. out there doing uh, doing the work and trying to tell the stories in a in in a Christ-centered way, in a truthful way. Tell me what Nairobi's like. Well, you know, it's like so I've been to Maui. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's less beach. Is it than okay. Maui? Okay. <laughs> but same number of palm trees. I okay. mean, it's very tropical. So very. Um, it is very. It's beautiful. Um, but it's it's like beautiful and appalling at the same time because there are parts of Nairobi that are like really bad slums mm-hmm. and. Um, and so really, uh, really tough, but there are other areas of it where it's just beautiful. It's like they have sidewalks and, um, we were eating in this, uh, restaurant, uh, called Java house, which is sort of like a Panera. Mm-hmm. And so you felt like you were in a Panera, you know, in Bloomington or, you know, or <laughs> just, yeah. just somewhere, just, you were somewhere here in the U S and if you, you wouldn't think that you were in the middle of Nairobi, Kenya and, uh, so it's very built up, and there's some cosmopolitan aspects, very British and super formal in sort of the way that they talk. Everybody dresses up nicely. In Nairobi? Yeah. I didn't I mean, know that. Yeah, it's pretty – I mean, the people at the university were all, you know, just a much more business-like, very European. That I mean, it's, at times you feel like you're in an episode of The Crown, <laughs> you know, because you're just like, hey, you know, it was just sort of that kind of royalty feel to it. So what's tell me the the spiritually what's happening in Nairobi? I guess I don't even know 
what their their heritage is, what their where do well, they come I, there's from? a lot of things I don't know. I'm still learning about Kenya, but uh, from I, I didn't get a sense that there was a lot of sort of denominational pieces. I'm sure that they're there. I mean, I know there's a Baptist theological um, seminary that's it's not affiliated here, but it's you know um, it was near where we are near Daystar, so it wasn't really. I didn't really get that sense. It was really just more about the pursuit of, you know, who Christ is and, and really upholding him. Scripture on people's lips when you talk, it would just sort of ooze out of them um, when you spoke to them or they prayed. So that was my sense. It was just this real um, love for who Christ is mm-hmm. and everything that they did. And it's every meeting started off with a devotion um, and a prayer, and so it probably took 10, 15 minutes. It's extraordinarily re- relational. You know, mm. here in the U.S., if we have a meeting, it's like, okay, 1 o'clock, you know, 1 o'clock it starts, and, and we're just, we're have at it, and we finish it at one twenty. we go to our next meeting, and, you know, we drive somewhere, and we go to our meeting, and, you know, it's just very quick and fast, but there it's, you know, way more laid back. If the meeting starts at 1, might get to the agenda at one twenty five, one thirty. Um, where it's just a lot of ketchup and t- they have tea, um, share samosas and nice different kinds of food and yeah, it was extraordinarily social and really warm and generous and much more about getting to know me as an individual and then and then conversely, I got to know more about who they are as people mm-hmm. than than you know the actual stuff that we did and accomplished. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember more the conversation I have just hanging out with a Harrison or a Levy and than I did, you know, about, like, well, should we do this class or this class, uh, that type of stuff. It was much more on the relational side. Yeah, so how was the audience engaging with the radio station? That Curious as to what kind of response, how do they interact with their listeners? What? So it's a different setup there than it is here where... At Northwestern, we have a, a professional station, so it's there are actual employees. So their station, which airs on the air just like this one does, uh, is operated all by students, and so okay. there's a lot of students that are just sort of learning. So and it's a smaller signal, so it doesn't cover the entire Nairobi um, listening area. So I think it's more of the kind of the s- southern half of Nairobi, and um, I would say that, you know, it's really just about getting them on the air and um, and doing the best they can in, in that regard. So there's a lot of beginners, have a little training session that they do, and they try to bring the most uh, advanced students on. The Usually the juniors and seniors are the ones that make it on air. So, Well, so they have a... a- 24 hours of broadcasting do they have yeah. a, a so they're they're on they're doing they're doing it they're doing so, it yeah yeah it's just they where here in the united states if you have a radio station typically and you're listening to it it's, you know there's a lot more experience well except for this show obviously but um you know but you and me combined <laughs> right. it's like you know who let them in um so yeah so it's just a real learning environment but those people then go on to you know get the jobs that are available yeah. there in the Nairobi area and then other, you know, around Africa as well and some other media outlets. It's, it's you know, it's definitely you know, a little bit more technologically advanced yeah. here than it is and there. Is, but. is Daystar a, a Christian university? Yes. Okay, cool. That 
very helpful yep. for me to know. I need to be yeah. reminded of that. Yeah, it was a, it was a, yeah, they've been around. I'm not sure when they started, but yeah, if you look up Daystar University in Kenya, um, they have a an office, a U.S. office that's based in the Minneapolis area. Okay. And so there were some representatives from there that came. Um, and they're actually going to be here, I think, in April. So several representatives. And really the person you should talk to and um, have on the air is their new vice chancellor. Um, his name is um, Laban. Yeah. And so he's kind of like the president of the college. Is he available and right now? No, he's not. Cause right. This interview is not going so well. Okay. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, no, he's just he's he's well, his story is he came out of the slums of of Nairobi and is now like a rock star among among Kenyans mm-hmm. where you can you you know, like he's people are stopping him and, and he's done ama- some amazing work throughout his life where he has lived, you know, just his life for who Jesus is. And he, it's, he's got a remarkable story mm-hmm. that, you know, from from where he came from to now and just the experience he's had and, and just his trust in the Lord through this whole time. Yeah. yeah. Mark Senius is my guest, a man with a very difficult last name to spell. Uh, he's the chair of Department of Communications here at the University of Northwestern. We're going to take a little break so I can generate some more interesting questions when we come back. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. Mark Genius is my my guest. S E I G N. I have a song. I, you have a song. The best. I have a song. So this really, is, I wrote this in high school, and so because you know the name, you look at it, it's a bit of an eye chart. It and is. So it's like do I, you know you don't need any more vowels because there's plenty. <laughs> <laughs> but, and so yeah, so it's Genius is is how it is. So it's S E I G N I O U S. But nobody can ever remember that. So if you but if you do it this way, so come like an S. I'm an S E. I'm an S E I G N I O U S. I'm a senior. It rhymes with genius. I'm an S-E-I-G-N-I-O-S. E-A-O, E-A-O, and S-E-I-G-N-I-O-U-S. Yeah, it's surprisingly not helpful yeah, for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> But uh, I love the song. The song is fascinating. Thank you very little. Yeah. So did you see the uh, uh, awards last night on TV, the Academy Oscar Awards? I did watch part of the Academy Awards, the yeah. Oscars. Yeah. And uh, they're, yeah, I mean, you know, aside from a lot of the, I mean, some, Pretty amazing, heartfelt moments uh, from the film, or from, you know, from some of the awards, and some like when the uh, the director of Parasite actually uh, won uh, last. I mean, his his speech and his honor to Martin Scorsese was, you know, it was really very touching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't seen Parasite, which is the first foreign language film to ever win an actual Oscar. Um, but have seen some of the other ones. Nineteen seventeen. You saw that? Yep. And it is. It's an extraordinary piece of work, in the sense that you know everything is done from like it's one camera shot, where you you start at the very beginning, and so it makes it seem like it's just one continuous shot. Like there's no edits, um, and it's it's a remarkable film, beautifully photographed by Roger Deakins, and I mean he won this. Oscar for cinematography, mm-hmm. and so a very compelling story. Just in the, the heartbreak and the hardships of World War One, and yet it's sort of this inspirational story that kind of comes out where you just sort of you have you have a mission and you got to fulfill it. And it was strikingly um, inspirational, and so it's kind of right up there in the inspiring 
um, not quite as you know glorious as you know all is calm or uh, uh, Joël Noël, Joël Noël, uh, which is a French film from many years ago. It's about the, the armistice when on Christmas Eve when mm-hmm. everybody lays down their arms and German and English and French soldiers all sing you know carols and celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas Eve in a ceasefire. Which was it's a beautiful story. Um, I think here in the Twin Cities there is even a a musical where you, they just kind of sing all. It's a dramatic yeah. representation. Here, of the stage. Did it. So, yeah, yep. All is calm is the name of it. Yeah, and yeah, it's remarkable. Yeah. So the reason I asked because you being uh, in broadcast and teaching communications here, I always. I'm curious as to how and what you would say to students in terms of what filters do you lay on when you're viewing films from a Christian perspective? Because right now it's hard for me to go to movies at all. Yeah, the the one that I probably lay on the most is what are you rooting for? You know, what, at what point, you know, as you're watching this, you know, what are you really rooting for? And when it comes to, like, are you rooting for sin to sort of mm. win? And, you know, you take a movie like Dr. Zhivago, you know, it's like you're, you know, in order for really enjoy that movie, it's like, well, adultery has to win. And, and so that's, you know, a really, you know, it's, it's, it's almost impossible because it's like you start to feel, it's like, well, well, I want this better relationship to, to succeed. But then, um, but that requires, you know, a break of the marriage vow. And then so what God, you know, you know, brought together, let no man separate. So you have to root for the separation. Mm-hmm. And then you take that to, like, say, Casablanca, which, um, you know, is a movie that has very similar themes. And so you have, you know, two characters and one's married and, and uh, only they, you know, they had an affair, but they didn't know. They thought the you know, one of the spouses was dead. Spoiler alert. It's from 1942 that that came out. So hopefully you've seen it. But um, so there's a lot of themes there. But the movie could not have ended any other way because, um, you know, that would have meant that for the Humphrey Bogart character and the Ingrid Bergman character would have to have run off together, but that would have been adultery. And so, you know, the Humphrey Bogart character, you know, kind of just says, no, you have to go. I can't be with you. Um, You know, we'll always have Paris. Right. And so, and you know, he sends them off and it's like, you know, there's a, that's what makes that movie so beautiful. Same with La La Land. Everybody's like, they wanted, you know, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone to, you know, run off into the sunset together. But it's like, no, you can't. They can't. You know, she's married now. She's got a different life. And they had their time, and it just didn't happen, right? And so uh, so that's, uh, you know, I kind of look to some of those things. Um, and then I guess the ultimate example would be, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, it's like, hey, that's a fun movie. I like that. Dun, 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 right? It's like, you know, it's like, but what's this movie about? It's like. You know, pirates. I had remember having this conversation with with my oldest son when the movie came out. Just you know, what's that movie about? It's about pirates. Okay, what do pirates do? Well, they do bad things, right? And it's like, so why are we rooting for pirates? And it's you know, his comeback was, but they're they're fighting the British. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I guess then it would be okay. <laughs> yeah, but when but, Hollywood d- does nothing that respects or reflects our values. How do we figure out, how do we do the vetting? How do we come to a conclusion that, that this could be a good film to go see? Well, I think that, that you know, it's, I think there's okay when you, I mean, there's things in a film that are, you know, there's there's intention and then there's obstacles that make up a really great story. And and so there's, you know, they have a quest, every character has something. And then it's like, what sort of redeeming 
aspect of this character, you know, happens? Is is there a redemptive story that that turns it around? Is there something in this experience that um, helps me, um, you know, see a change in a character? Or, you know, conversely, you know, you can um, you just you see the the badness of sin, like a brief encounter. And that's David Lean from nineteen thirty nine or eight or something. And, um, you know, this movie about adultery and you watch the movie and it's just like the world just crumbles. You can see, you see the, how, you know, having an affair and adultery just crumbles relationships and the, in the, the ramifications of that. And so it's, you know, it's a hard movie to watch, but you see the consequences of people's actions. And so I think if you're looking at it from sort of that standpoint, you know, from that story, like, what am I learning or what can I learn? Uh, about that, then, you know, then there's some, there's some things that you can do. Um, I think it was, I'm not, I don't remember what author said this. I was reading, I can't remember the name of the book, but um, it's like, you know, we pray before meals, we pray before, uh, you know, getting together with friends and we pray here, pray. It's like, how often do we pray like before we actually sit down and watch something? So if there is something that happens, you know, during the the film or the movie or TV show or whatever, um, you know, at what point are you going to just stop watching? There's times when I know some friends of mine, we've been watching something is like, okay, we can't, we didn't know that was going to happen. We need to step away. Yeah. Um, Or if something does happen, it's like, okay, why did that happen? And then, you know, not everybody can kind of take a little bit here and there. It's not a just dogmatic um, approach to what you should or shouldn't watch. But I think you need to prayerfully consider what you do. And then how does it affect you? I mean, you know, some people might might not affect them as much, but others, you know, language or violence Mm-hmm. You know, can be much more detrimental in, in where someone might be in their yeah. in their faith. Do you have any uh, actors or actresses uh, whose films you won't see because of them? I'm sure there are. I'm trying to think of them. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, I, I have a hard time seeing things that are um, from Quentin Tarantino. Um, I, I do know that. Um, yeah. That's a good example. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is a good example. Right. I mean, but, you know, I had nothing else to watch on a plane back from Kenya. I watched Once Upon a Time in America, which actually was much better than I thought it was. But I think all the language and, you know, violence had sort of been weeded out of it. So it was, yeah. it was a little more tame Tarantino. Yeah, it was also 14 minutes long. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I didn't have much to do then on the eight-hour flight. But uh, I, I think I look at it more from, like, who do I really enjoy um i think that the tom hanks you know um movie that came out um it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood was absolutely spectacularly good um there was a movie called uh, falcon peanut butter falcon Mm -hmm. with sheila booth and which is not you know typically you don't think of that as an endearing character but that peanut butter falcon was this really wonderful endearing story about um this a uh, kid with Down syndrome who just wants to break out of his the home where he's in, and you know and he, to, he wants to become a wrestler, and you know so he has this quest, and you know and the there's the home that we, he was in was rather oppressive, and you know didn't treat him as a person, they they treated him as you know well you're less than, and it's a remarkable beautiful little story about this kid who kind of runs away from home essentially and finds himself and, and, you know, and the Sheila Booth character is, 
you know, you, you don't want to root for him. You don't like him. And then, you know, you see his transformation and how he has to learn to love this guy because they're on the road. Mm-hmm. And so it's that's one of the more interesting movies I've seen. I, I appreciate you coming in, Mark, and I love the takeaway that I'm going to walk away with, which is do we ever pray before we view entertainment? That's a powerful reminder, and thank you yeah. for that. And what are we rooting for? I mean, it's exactly. like you're rooting what for rooting sin. For? It's like yeah. it's a tough one. Yeah. Mark Senius has been my guest, chair of the Department of Communications right here at the University of Northwestern. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. You know, most of the time, adults surround kids to share the love of Jesus to them. In the case of my guest, it was a group of kids that surrounded an adult to share that love, and that man heard and received the gospel. My guest, Bill Butters, has had kind of a rough and tumble history of high school, college, and professional hockey. Today, he spends his God-appointed time surrounding himself with any and every group he can share the love of Jesus with. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, and uh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to chat with you guys. Yeah, well, I had uh, the pleasure and I, I, of hearing you present. Unfortunately, it was at a funeral of a friend, uh, so that was not easy for probably uh, either of us because you loved this person as well. But there was a sense of urgency you spoke of, which to me is was so significant because you had had a conversation with someone else who was kind of at the end of his life, and he said to you, why didn't you talk to me about this earlier? Yeah, um, I met a kid uh, on the way to kindergarten. His name was Len Smith, and uh, we became childhood friends and teenage friends, high school friends, and then uh, we went to different colleges, but we remained friends. He was the best man at my wedding, and I played pro hockey. He went on to a business career, and in 1980, we're celebrating in Minnesota the, the miracle on ice. But in 1980, um, as you said in the opening, a, a group of young 12-year-old boys led me to Christ. And since that time, I've been sharing the gospel, but not with my close friends because um, we just don't talk politics. We don't really get much past the surface stuff for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And uh, so my friend um, at age 67, uh, got the bad news. He had a stage four brain tumor, inoperable. And I watched this healthy man, my best friend, uh, slowly kind of start fading away from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair to then just bedridden. And uh, I just, I told my wife, I said, Debbie, I, I don't know. I think I know by the way Smitty acts, but I've never talked to him about his faith in Jesus. So one day uh, we had driven up and we're just sitting with he and his wife, and I said, Smitty, you know what I do for, right? He goes, yeah, you, you talk to hockey players about Jesus. And I said, right. And I said, uh, well, what about you, Smitty? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And he said, January 4th, 1982, I asked God to forgive my sins and invite Christ into my life as my Savior. And now I got a question for you, Butsy. He said, and I go, what's that, Smitty? He goes, I'm supposed to be your best friend. And why it is taking you so long to be talk to talk about Jesus? And it just penetrated my heart that the people that are closest to us rarely do we want to ruffle anybody's feathers and talk about things. They may see our lives change, but 
they don't really want to ask the tough questions, and we don't really want to ask the tough questions about them. Like, you know, Jesus, we, I don't know. I, I, at least that's my experience. And I, I said from that point on, I'm, and I'm bold in my faith anyway, but I have become more bold <laughs> and uh, just talk about Christ with everybody I can. It is uh, so interesting how we don't want to alienate longstanding friendships, but if you think about it, there's nothing more important than letting our dear people that we know and love uh, know about the love of Jesus if they've not come to a, a reconciliation with, with God. And yeah. And if they are longstanding friends, just think the the little dash between 1951 and and 2020 or 2019 is just a a small portion on the eternity time frame, and uh, we're alienating our friends forever if we don't talk to them about Jesus. And and Bill, isn't it interesting how you get news every week of someone who is in maybe a stage of dying or have just died and. And it's uh, the rate at which we are losing friends and family members is, is is alarming. And just as a function of getting older, of course, but uh, yeah. th- we should, as Christians, have a sense of incredible urgency, shouldn't we? Yeah, and it's not just, yeah, and it's not just because we're close to, or at least I'm close to 70. My next birthday, I'll be 70. It's just not because of that, but the urgency of the cross, I mean, we're all dying and we don't know if it's going to be by a car accident or by a drowning or, you know, whatever it may be, but that, that shouldn't be the motivation. You know, the urgency is that we have the best news in the world. We have the hope of God through his son, Jesus Christ, that can give us abundant life. And we should be excited to share that news, not just waiting for a deathbed, you know, Hey, conversion. So, yeah, I want my friends and hockey players everywhere to know the abundant life that God calls us to. And it starts now, not just when we die. And I started uh, the introduction of you because it is so true that most adults try to organize activities where they can get around kids to tell them about Jesus. And in your case, kids came around you. Would you tell that story, Bill? Okay. Um, You know, uh, if anyone's ever heard of me most of the people listening are either haven't heard or they're too old to remember but anyway uh i was a tough hockey player and uh i had not a great childhood i mean not not a bad childhood i i was kind of a happy kid but my folks got divorced when i was four and my mom was married divorced many times and uh, i saw some things that a young boy shouldn't see and and uh it just wasn't a great home life and uh, then I got a scholarship to play hockey at the university, and and I I wanted to, to have a, a better home life than I had. I wanted to have a, a beautiful wife and kids and, and be real a real good dad. And but I also played pro hockey, and I was I was employed by a few different teams to be a person that played outside the rules of the game. And they didn't want me to play within the rules. They wanted to be an intimidator and an enforcer. So I lived seven years outside the rules of hockey. And uh, I made a living at that. And then, unfortunately, when you do that in one portion of your life, it it creeps into another area of my life, my personal life, which I'm ashamed to say. But I lived outside the rules of marriage for seven years. And... uh, I had this gorgeous wife I met in college and uh, three beautiful kids. 
and I was not a good man. And a couple of my teammates saw that action, and they they invited me to a hockey camp. And I have to go back. Um, my mother, um, after my dad left when I was four years old, and she had these other marriages, she thought, well, maybe I should bring my kids to church. But because of her checkered past, when she brought my two sisters and myself to church, people kind of snubbed her hmm. and uh, looked like, what's this person doing in this church? And I, I grew up with a real distaste and uh, almost a hatred towards Christians because I saw what the brokenness in my mom's face when uh, they kind of rejected her. So anyway, fast forward to now, I'm a married man and, and uh, said all the vows at church that you're supposed to say, and uh, but never really believed anything, never really read the Bible, never really had a relationship with God at all. In fact, I went to church with my wife occasionally on Christmas and Easter especially, but, you know, once in a while, because she was raised in uh, that way, and she thought church was important, and I just kind of never really bought into the whole program. So now um, my friend asked me to come to this camp, and he said, I said, yeah, because we didn't make millions of dollars like they do today. The average salary in the National Hockey League when I played was 55000 and now the average salary is $2.4 million. So uh, we needed to work in the summer. Sometimes we worked hockey schools. And I said, how much are you going to pay me if I come to your hockey camp? And he said, well, it's a Christian camp, and uh, we want everyone to volunteer. And I said, you know, I'm not much on Christianity. In fact, I hate Christians. And um, But if I did come, how much would you pay me? And he said, well, like I said, it's a Christian camp. And we want everybody to volunteer. And I said, you know, that's what I hate about Christians. They pass that big brass plate at church, and people throw all that cash in there. And, and But everybody volunteers. I said, someone's getting rich off this deal. So that was my attitude towards Christianity. Anyway, my wife had heard this conversation on the phone and kind of marked on the calendar that I had committed to go to this camp. So when the time came to go to the camp, I really had no intention of going, but when you're married and your wife puts something on a calendar, you go. So I went to this camp and I was utterly shocked to see that these hockey players didn't even know the hockey language. They weren't swearing. They were. They took their glove off and shook my hand. They were real polite. They were nice kids. And I go, man, these kids aren't even hockey players. They don't even know how to talk. And uh, so one night, after three days of them kind of harassing me about going to lunch with them and reading the Bible, I kept saying, no, no. And one night they asked me to go to chapel. And at that chapel, I heard that I had a heavenly father and I didn't even have an earthly father, but I had a heavenly father that loved me so much that he sent Jesus, his son, to pay my penalty. And then they used this hockey analogy that the goalie, if he gets a penalty in hockey, he never has to go to the box. But the coach picks a teammate, and that teammate will go serve him. And that's just like, just like our Christian faith. God, our heavenly coach, chose a teammate, his son Jesus, to go to the penalty box, not 85 feet from the bench, but the cross at Calvary, to take away your sin and your shame and your guilt and give you a new life. And for the first time, I, it kind of clicked to me that maybe there is something, because I knew I was a sinful man, and, 
and I was living a double life, and it was it was not peaceful to live that way. Anyway, so I was walking out, just kind of contemplating what had been said that night, and these little 12-year-old boys came up to me, and they, they asked me to join them in their little huddle group, and I didn't know what that was. It, it's just a Bible study. And so they had 16 12-year-old boys, and they were they were excited because I was a 30-year-old, tough, rugged hockey player. And uh, they were going to ask me questions about how many goals I scored and how many fights I won and 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 stuff like that. And, and then they started telling me that Jesus was the toughest guy that ever lived. And I go, you mean the guy that has long hair and it, he uses conditioner in it and his beard's always trimmed up in a white, he has a white robe on and he's got a lamb on his shoulder and he, he's petting some little kid on the top of the head. I go, that's not my idea of toughness. I said, that guy's not tough. And he's the little 12-year-old boy said, Coach, it doesn't take any toughness to use bad language. It doesn't take any toughness at all to hit someone with your stick or drop your gloves and fight someone. It takes real toughness to love people that have hurt you and forgive people that have hurt you. And uh, that's what that's what toughness is, and that's who Jesus was. And I'm going, wow, here I am, a 30-year-old professional hockey player, teaching kids how to shoot and pass a puck, and they're teaching me about the Savior of the world. And I listened to them, and then they were going to close in prayer, and they uh, they started praying out loud, and I never even prayed. And a little 12-year-old boy prayed that I could know what peace was. And the next little boy said, I pray that Coach Butters could know what love is. And then one little boy um, prayed, I pray that Coach Butters could know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And uh, for the first time in my life, I started to cry. And uh, I got down on my knees, and those little boys just came around me, and they put their hands on me. And they led me in a prayer to receive Jesus as my Savior. So that's the real miracle on ice that we're celebrating in 1980. That happened July 7th, 1980. And I know we're celebrating uh, the gold medal. Herb Brooks, my old college coach, winning uh, the gold medal in 1980. But the little miracle on ice happened in that little dorm room. And, uh, yeah, little boys had enough courage to pray for a tough, broken-down hockey player. Yeah, just spectacular, uh, Bill. Bill Butters is my guest. I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, uh, more time with Bill. Welcome back to the show. So glad to be talking to Bill Butters today. He's a former professional uh, hockey player, and now he is spending all of his time and energy sharing the love of Jesus uh, with groups and, and hockey groups and uh, players and teams. And so, Bill, when you get a chance to talk to groups and chapels and and you get them together, what are what's the tone? What are their what are the ears like when they are they listening and hearing? Are they uh, warm and receptive to the gospel? What, what's your feedback? Well, it's funny you ask that. Our chapel lesson this 
this week, actually, for the teams I meet with are, are the uh, the parable of the sower. And uh, Jesus is using the, the analogy of the farmer sowing his seed. And some fell on hard ground, and some fell on rocky soil, and some fell on thorny soil, and some fell on good soil. And, and that's the temperature of the locker room. I mean, some people are hard-hearted at first. Some people, you know, they get excited, they get inspired, and it, the seed springs up quickly. And then as soon as they get a little pushback, they kind of fade out. And then some just, they, they get excited and they come for a few, and all of a sudden the pressure of not scoring or, you know, what the pro scouts are saying about them or whatever, you know, kind of chokes out and they kind of pull back. But then there's some guys that hear it and they receive it and they just grow and they flourish. So... The parable of the sower is the world, you know, it's just, that's how it is. But most guys, whether they're pro hockey players or Division One college or, or squirty or bantams, whatever teams I meet, everyone is hungry to be loved by someone and everyone wants to be accepted. And when I tell them that God loves them no matter what and Jesus loves them no matter what and you can be forgiven, and then I don't know if you've ever been to a hockey game, Bill, I'm sure you have, and maybe your audience has, but every 20 minutes a miracle happens at an ice hockey rink. The end doors open up and the Zamboni comes out, and it t- picks up the brokenness, the broken sticks, the spit, the snot rockets, the broken ice, and it picks all the stuff up and lays a smooth, warm layer of water, and it fills in the cracks, and it gives us a clean sheet of ice. And that's what God will do for your, our lives, I tell them. You know, God will pick that s- stuff up if you've got, come from a divorce, if your girlfriend's dumped you, if you're not on the first line. God can use that. He can give you a clean sheet of ice, you know, to skate on. I guess that's a long answer to your question. I it, love it, though. Some people say, yay, I want to learn more. Some people say, ah, it's not for me. But the, the, there's a couple of guys from foreign countries that, Really, they don't have much faith across the pond in a lot of places. But when they come and they hear, because they've never opened up a Bible, and they've, they're just, it's hearsay. And even in America and in Canada, it's, it's mainly hearsay. People, whether they're men or women, have rarely opened up the Word of God. And, you know, it says in Romans 12, um, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. And when they see that God's Word can transform them and the Holy Spirit can empower them, it's it's life-changing still today. So it's the most exciting job that I've ever had. You know, it's interesting when, you know, younger athletes are striving for significance, um, it's hard for them to understand that, that God has a plan and God loves them and God wants them to surrender their authority to him. Um, and I think of uh, Mark eight thirty six. when you think of uh, the passage where it says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You think of some of the, the money that athletes are getting paid today. And I recently heard a discussion that Aaron Rodgers said where he just kind of has abandoned his faith and has now be, sort of become more agnostic or atheist saying that why would God, you know, want to send the majority of his uh, creation to a fiery hell? The bad thing is that's bad theology because God, if you read the word, says he, he's slow. Jesus is slow and coming because he doesn't want anyone to perish. Right. 
we're sending ourselves there by the choices we make. God's not sending there. You know, it's just like getting a, an invitation to a wedding. I think I shared that at the funeral. I mean, it says RSVP. You know, everybody's invited, but how do you respond? You know, RSVP responds to the plate. God says, you know, I love you. Do you love me back? Accept my son. Accept my invitation. So God's not sending anybody there. Yeah, but it's not very often that a person who is saying something like that gets corrected with good theology and sound doctrine. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, I, I'm just a hockey player, and I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree sometimes, but I'll tell you, God, God, I've had surgeries on my shoulder, on my nose. I take medication for seizures that I've, I've had so many concussions. But the greatest surgery he ever performed happened in that dorm room in 1980 with 12-year-old boys. I mean, they were smelly. They were stinky. They they didn't have their doctorate degree. They didn't have their scrubs on. But God used them to take away my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Yeah, and, I- and you know, that that is the beauty of the gospel. God can take away Aaron Rodgers' heart of stone. He can put in a heart of flesh. He just has to let the Spirit of God touch his heart again. And, Bill, I'd say those little 12-year-old stinky group of kids were leading with love. They they loved oh, yeah. Coach Butters, didn't they? They did. And, you know, I like to put four or five golf balls in my mouth and take my tooth out and, you know, do stupid stuff. And uh, you build a relationship with kids, and and all of a sudden they see that you care about them, so they're going to be caring about you and they're going to be caring about what you say and that's that's the beauty of relationships that's the beauty of god that's why he came to to earth at christmas you know we celebrate god with us emmanuel he came to show us he cares and loves and wants a relationship and once we enter into that it's beautiful Mm -hmm. so it's been a while since you've been playing professional hockey if you're pushing 70 and yeah. I know that you uh, were the tough guy. And so when you see tough guys out on the ice today, do you do you think, uh, boy, that was me? Or what do you think nowadays? You know, it's just like a plumber or an electrician or a pastor. You know, if it's their calling, if it's their job, it's within the rules of the game. I go, you know, you're going to get hurt. You're going to lose some teeth. Your nose is going to, you might you get your nose broken. You might have a concussion. You might have to, you know. But that's what they're paying you to do. Do it to the best of your ability. Yeah. You know, I mean, I look at football players. They hit guys harder than people punch, I can tell you that. You get a 6'6", 270-pound guy hitting you from the blind side in the back. I, I'm, I'm amazed that a quarterback can even live after a game, more or less play another one. So they get hit harder than anybody gets hit in a fight. And as long as it's in the rule book, you know, I, I say go at it. But I... I just know there might be a better way, but, you know, we're, everyone's trying to make it and uh, to get the approval, you know, of, of people. And I would like to say there might be a better way for you, but maybe that's a skill set they have. I mean, there's a lot of warriors in the Bible. You know, a lot of people did more than drop their gloves and punch each other for three or four minutes. Yeah, Bill, we just got, a couple, yeah, we just got a couple of minutes left. I'm curious your reaction to the programming of sports uh, for kids today where there's, they're on schedules that are almost inconceivable and parents are carting them around and they have games Sunday morning at 9. What do you think of all that? I think youth sports and, and youth activities are, are probably the, one of the killers of the church attendance. In fact, I know it is. You know, I mean, everybody's going and they, 
I, I was amazed. I told my wife, I said, on, on last Sunday, I said, Debbie, this is the only Sunday this year that we haven't had youth sports. Oh, I know why. It's Super Bowl Sunday. They're going <laughs> to worship. They're going to worship the Super Bowl. No coach wants to miss Super Bowl, yeah. whether it's hockey, basketball, volleyball. I just think, yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, I wasn't a Christian, but I always remember, where's all the kids on Wednesday nights? <laughs> Where, where's all the kids on Sunday? Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm the only guy that probably never went to church, and now I'm going to church. Well, where's all the kids? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I remember, you know, when I was a kid. Um, Sports were something kids did. I mean, the the baseball yeah. schedule was on the refrigerator, and my yeah. mom would say, "You know, you have a game at two today," so I'd get on my bike and go and play the game, and then come home. I mean, there, yeah. people didn't show up and watch. <laughs> no, no, it's funny. I just was with my grandson. I said, "I said, hey, Maxie, how do you do? You like it when everyone comes to game? Yeah, I really like it." I said, "You know what? You're lucky." I played three sports my whole life, and my mom and dad never came to any of my youth sports. Not one game. That was just the time, wasn't it, Bill? Yeah. Well, it's just a a delight uh, talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story and and your encouragement to all the listeners. All right. God bless you, and thanks for calling. God bless you. Bill Butters has been my guest. That's all the show we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you for being such uh, great supporters of Faith Radio. It means the world to me. I hope you have a wonderful night. Psalm 20, verse 4 says, May he give you the desires of your heart, and make all your plans succeed. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.